NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who is taking reps with the first team in practice. Here is the captain. We're just trying to take everything one step at a time, one practice at a time, and it's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very happy to be featuring Nosferatu by one of the great Ohio beer makers, Great Lakes Brewing Company. Nosferatu is a red IPA. It's a big bodied beer, full of flavor and a beautiful color as well. So pour it into your favorite glass. This red IPA is hoppy, strong, and yet smooth. Garage grade four out of five bottle caps. And here's some praise and thank yous to some smooth criminals that helped us fill up the fridge for today's show. First up, a shout out to Kathy Barber in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. And a big We Like Your Jib goes out to Wendy Wood in Los Angeles, California. Next up, a cheers to Chelsea who's hanging out in the coldest place in Alaska. And last but certainly not least, we have Adam in Buffalo, New York. Shout out to the Bills Mafia and shout out to everybody that went to truecrimegarage.com, clicked on the pint glass, and helped us out with this week's beer fund. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, beer run for everything true crime. Check out truecrimegarage.com and make sure you sign up on the mailing list. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. The great state of Ohio has 88 counties. For this week's true crime story, we head to Mahoning County and to one of 14 townships in Mahoning, Boardman, Ohio. 
Boardman is a suburb directly south of Youngstown. In the early 70s, life in Boardman was changing, changing how its 30,000 or so citizens felt about their town. Boardman was a safe town and a great place to raise a family, but was that still true? Who could be sure? And with the story we are presenting this week, you'll see why parents started implementing stronger curfews, demanding to know their children's whereabouts, and telling them to not walk alone, and even in a group, always to be looking over your shoulder. Fifty years ago this week, a 12-year-old Boardman boy, Bradley Bellino, was abducted and murdered. His case remains open, and not for a lack of effort. The Boardman Police Department did everything in their power over the course of five decades to find justice for Brad and the Bellino family. They have tried everything, every resource, even calling on other law enforcement agencies for help. And yet, the person or persons responsible remain a mystery. The following is from the Akron Beacon Journal. The headline, Nothing Was Normal, The Weekend of Slaying. And the article reads, Normally when he left his best friend's house after an afternoon of playing basketball, Bradley Bellino went directly home. Normally, Don Templeman's parents drove Bradley the several miles to his home. Normally, Bradley, 12, would be talking to Don on the phone the next day, setting up another rendezvous for basketball, talking or walking. But Easter weekend wasn't normal. Sometime after he left the Templeman house at 7.30 p.m. Friday, Bradley was sexually molested, strangled to death, and stuffed into a trash bin where his body was discovered that Tuesday morning. His body still bore the red, white, and blue jeans and the t-shirt with the devil made me do it emblazoned across it that he was wearing when he left the Templemans. Quote, if Brad left here after dark, we would drive him home, said Mrs. Templeman. But Friday, I was shopping and my husband was sick. So Brad left on his own. Don didn't hear from him again. Bradley's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Bellino, didn't report their son missing until Saturday afternoon, apparently due to a misunderstanding about whether he would stay overnight Friday with the Templemans. The coroner investigator stated, quote, We hope to be able to pinpoint the time of death more accurately when our lab tests are complete. The headline was right. Nothing was normal that weekend, not for anyone in Boardman and it would be a long time before things would start to feel normal again. Because unfortunately, this was not the first of its kind for Boardman. And sadly, it would not be the last. Bradley's murder was sandwiched right between the murders of two other boys from Boardman. That's right, three murders, three kids, all in the span of less than five years. As one writer from Boardman put it, there was a dread a pale that hung over the community for some time. That period of time for the community was one of distress and horror. Evoking the words of Buffalo Springfield, he wrote, There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the true crime story of the still unsolved Boardman, Ohio murders.
That was one of the trailers that we had for our four-part series titled The Boardman Murders that we released last year, starting with part one, released in the last days of March 2022. That series, episodes 567 to episode number 570 on your True Crime Garage radio dial, if you want to go back and listen to those. Now, if you have not been paying attention to the Boardman murders case out of Boardman, Ohio, located in Northeast Ohio, there have been significant updates in this case. We are talking Long Island serial killer-sized updates in the Boardman cases. When we featured the true crime story, we honed in on three unsolved homicides in Boardman, Ohio from the early 1970s. The three we focused in on were the murders of Thomas Baird, He was 15 years old, who was attacked when walking home on the evening of December 4th, 1970. He was found either slumped over or lying on the ground with severe head injuries. He would later die from those injuries. The next unsolved homicide that we covered was that of 12-year-old Brad Bellino. Brad was last seen walking home from his friend's home. On the night of March 31st, 1972, Brad Bellino's lifeless body was discovered found in a dumpster five days later on the morning of April 4th, 1972. We discussed the Youngstown Vindicator newspaper article, the infamous article that everyone in Boardman thinks of when they hear the name Brad Bellino. And how could anyone forget? The headline read, Refuse Man Makes Grim Discovery. And right there on the front page of the newspaper for everyone to see, including kids that happen to look at their parents reading the paper or the newspaper sitting on the kitchen table, a large black and white photo positioned above the fold on the front page. The picture showing two Boardman police officers, both obviously quite cold standing outside, standing next to a small dumpster. Now, that boy's body is in that dumpster. The killer had placed him there. The dumpster was partially filled, and Brad's body was covered over with cardboard boxes and waste. Eventually, Brad's case, just like Thomas Baird's case, went cold. The third case that we featured in the four-part series was that of David Evans. He was another Boardman boy, age 13. David went missing on Friday, January 17, 1975. David, like Brad, was a little smaller for his age, but David was a mighty little man. Now, oddly enough, and this is just one of those haunting parts of a story that just sticks with you, little David was actually last seen by his own father. So David was seen at approximately 6 p.m. by his father in the neighborhood where the Evans family lived. Father sees son and talks to son David at the intersection of Stilson Place and Withers Drive. This is just about two dozen houses away from the Evans home. David told his dad that he had checked out the ice on Boardman Lake to see if it was thick enough to skate on, but found that it was not, so he was on his way home. David never made it home. Isn't David diabetic? David is diabetic and required an insulin shot every 12 or so hours, with the paper stating that he would have been due for his next insulin shot the next morning at 7.30 a.m. before breakfast. At 11.30 p.m. on the night that he was last seen, David's red knit hat 
was found at Stilson Place and Withers Drive intersection. So this is very near where his father last saw the boy. Snow was trampled in about a three-foot circle around this hat, this winter hat. And let's remember, David was shy and reserved, especially with strangers, and his parents didn't think he would willingly go off with a stranger. So he is not the type to hitch rides. We talked about in our original coverage that Brad Bellino was quite the opposite, very outgoing, very adventurous, and was known to hitchhike. For six days, volunteers and law enforcement searched for David Evans on the ground and even in the air with a helicopter from the National Guard. Sadly, the search ended in a bad way on Thursday, January 23rd. David's frozen body was found in the bushes of a parking lot at the northeast corner of Market Street and Boardman Poland Road, routes 7 and 224 respectively. The location is approximately about a half mile or so from where Brad Bellino's body was found in the dumpster. Now the question, 50 or so years ago, when the homicides took place in Boardman, was could these three homicides be related, all connected to one another, or committed by the same perp or perpetrators? Well, with one murder, it shocks the community when you have another body found it starts shocking that whole region and so then law enforcement and armchair detectives are going to start looking into the similarities of these crimes and the differences of these crimes to see if they're connected and these cases really became especially that of brad bellino really came became almost something of urban legend there in northeast ohio and it makes sense. I mean, these this is how horror movies start off. A child on the streets disappears, and then days later is found dead. Now, there were similarities in these cases, but there were also some differences as well. And the similarities would be that you have three youngsters, all males, walking home in the evening or nighttime, and then they are found Two of them found dead. One of them found severely attacked. So Thomas Baird lost consciousness. He was found unconscious, beaten about the head. And when they recovered him, they took him to the hospital. The story of his attack seems to be quite different than the what could have happened to David Evans and what could have happened to Brad Bellino. With Evans and Bellino, there weren't any real theories at the time here you have a missing kid goes missing for several days and then is found placed almost somewhat concealed in both situations where where with thomas baird he's kind of lying out in the open and he's found in the story that went along with thomas baird's case was that he had been jumped by some older boys or boys his age and again the similarities here would be the ages Brad Bellino, David Evans, 13 and 12 years old. Thomas Baird, 15 years old. And one thing that's that's very strange about this case here, Captain, is... Child victims, but they're different. There is a significant difference in the victimology, in my opinion, here. You have Bellino, who's 12, Evans, who is 13. Both of these boys, you would say that 15 is not too far of a stretch, from 12 to 13, and then Thomas Baird, who's 15. However, 
what we actually have here is Bellino and David Evans were quite small for their age. These boys, they could have, Bellino could have passed for eight. Evans could have passed for 10. And Thomas Baird, very much 15 years old, going on 16. So somewhat of a different victimology there. But you can't get over the fact that all three of these boys are walking home at night by themselves. And it's very rare for a community of this size to experience the homicide of three children, three male boys within the course of less than a five-year span. Well, like you said, you have two of the victims that were concealed and then one that was not. That raises the question, is that a, a difference in these cases or did the perpetrator just not get a chance to conceal the other body. Exactly. And here's the thing too, Captain, what we have here is what our findings were when we looked into this case. And this was one of those cases where we had the opportunity, the rare opportunity to spend more than 10 days or two weeks on the case. We did this in a four part series span over two weeks. So that allowed us to one dive into this case and be very thorough with it well in advance leading up to that two weeks, but also gave us an additional seven to 10 days to review everything that we had. So we were really able to focus in on this case. The other thing too, we were able to get a hold of the police file for the David Evans case. Well, like you said, some of these cases became larger than life. They became folklore. So when you normally have cases like that, Let's take a missing person case like Mara Murray or you take the Amy Mihalovic case. A lot of information starts coming out about the victims, their families, and possible suspects. Well, and when you have multiple victims, multiple crime scenes, there's a lot to explore there. And then on top of that, you also want to try to figure out, A, are they connected? or And B, why 50 years? Why do we have a child homicide that that goes unsolved, goes cold for this many decades, and then, oh, by the way, we got two more that happened in the same area around the same time? And so that is something that really needs to be explored. Now, what are some of our findings were was there there's some weird portions to this story. First, Thomas Baird homicide. They said that from, from day one. Now, mind you, he did live for several days in the hospital before passing away. Brad Bellino, very obvious homicide. The poor boy was found with a belt wrapped around his neck, discarded in a dumpster and very obvious signs of homicide and the injuries and so on and so forth. Clear. Now, with the David Evans portion, not so clear. His diabetes and the required insulin shots made this a rather tricky case. And this was for the experts, not just us here sitting in the garage. The coroner had decided that he died of natural causes. Basically, he dies due to his diabetes and not getting the necessary insulin shots. Right. And the police department, Boardman PD, God bless them. Look, nobody's perfect. 
People make mistakes. We're fallible. We're human beings. I get it. Coroner sees something, makes a scientific assessment, and comes up with the conclusion that, oh, he died due to the diabetes. Boardman Police Department, they go back to the coroner and say, not so fast. We see a lot of reasons why we think this is a homicide. We we want you to change your ruling from natural causes to homicide. Why? Because that gives them that provides them different resources to investigate this as a homicide. Now, ultimately they do not get that reversal on that decision. What happens is Boardman PD, they decide we see reasons why this is a homicide. Let's go back to the the scene of where David Evans is last seen by his father. We talked about this when we covered it. When you find that winter cap on the ground in the middle of the intersection, snow around it, trampled over, And you have a boy that the parents and the teachers and everybody are saying, no, no, no. This kid would not have just got into a vehicle with somebody. You find that cap in the streets because somebody snatched that kid off of the street. So you have signs of an abduction. You have him missing for days before his body's found. And then on top of that, he has some significant injuries to him. There was some kind of hole or puncture mark in the, in, in the small of his back. There was also, he had a broken wrist. Now what they were able to determine is that the broken bones occurred after he was dead. And so what the police are, are saying is, look, this kid didn't die of these natural causes and then break his own arm, trying to hide his own body. This body was concealed He didn't crawl into the bushes to try to stay warm. He was 20 houses from his house walking home. He would have just went home. And this is not a kid that ran the streets. So the police are saying, we have reason to believe that this is a homicide. And God bless them. They kept it marked as that, labeled and titled as that for their efforts going forward, regardless of what the coroner said. Now, we agreed with law enforcement here and went against the coroner and said, yeah, we see every reason why this is a homicide. Now had the person that taken this boy not intended to kill him. One could make that argument. We don't want to make that argument, but we could, we could see how one could make that argument. But at the end of the day, when you abduct somebody, hold them captive and then deny them the necessary medicine that they require to live, that's a homicide. And that's what Boardman PD was saying. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. 
or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. 
Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious, from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates, to the windows, to the walls. Cheers to you, Colonel. Cheers to you, Captain. You know what time of year it is? It's NFL preseason, which means fantasy football draft season to shout out and, and cheers to everybody out there that's organizing their drafts. And you can you can smell it. You can smell the beers and the hot dogs just wafting in the wind. Stinks. <laughs> There were significant updates in this case, as we said. Now, typically, for longtime listeners, you know that we would put these updates on our other show, Off the Record. Now, the reason that we did not include these updates on Off the Record, quite simply, was when the update in the Brad Bellino case occurred, we were on hiatus. That was when we were on a bit of a break. We were transitioning from the Stitcher Premium app to the Apple podcast subscription show that we have now. So for those of you listening on an Apple device, if you haven't already go check out our other show off the record, I'm telling you, you're going to love it. You can check it out for free. There is a free trial period that you can do if you just want to have a little taste. Yeah. So back to our findings and, and a lot of people had this theory that the Blino case and that the David Evans case was connected. That's right. But we we highlighted it, circled it in red, and underlined it about 10 times because we reviewed the information and we couldn't... Everything leaned toward they should be connected, that they were very likely connected. Now, we get this huge update. We're talking about the Bellino case. We covered, and our four-part series came out roughly on the 50 year anniversary, the 50 year marker of Brad Bellino's case. 
being cold. And we called it cold because that's that's just the common terminology to use. But really, truly, and we had not confirmation of this, but some suspicions of this, that this case, Bellino's case, was being worked pretty good, pretty regularly behind the scenes in, in a kind of a quiet, closed-door manner. Right. That Boardman PD never really gave up on the Brad Bellino case. So this update comes out January of this year, late January, when WKBN First News 27 reported the update in the Boardman murders cases. And they state here, Boardman Township Police announced Tuesday they believe they know who is responsible for the 1972 murder of a 12-year-old boy. In a press conference, Chief Todd Worth said they believe Joseph Norman Hill, a former township resident who died in 2019 in the state of California, is responsible for the April 1972 strangulation death of 12-year-old Brad Lee Bellino. Worth credited former Chief Jeffrey Patterson, who reopened the case in 2001 and sent clothing of Brad's to the State Bureau of Criminal Identification and Investigation that had DNA on them that did not belong to the boy. After a series of tests that took years through several private firms and Ohio BCI, investigators were able to link Joseph Hill to the crime. Worth said BCI says there is 98.2% probability that Joseph Hill's DNA is the DNA that was found on Brad. Got him. I'm going to step outside of this article just for a second to clarify why it's not a more significant match. Okay, 98.2%, very close to being 100%, right? Close enough for me. Keep in mind, Joseph Hill had already passed away by the time the DNA had led them to his family tree. Right. And Joseph Hill lived in California in 2019 when he died, and he was cremated. So they were not able to exhume Joseph Hill and collect his DNA. What they were able to do is trace this DNA through family trees, which led them to Joseph Hill being a 98.2% probability that the DNA found on our murder victim belonged to Joseph Hill. So how significant is this to this case? Well, it's extremely significant because ultimately they're going to close the case based off of this. Now, the, as to the significance of the probability, 98.2%, I don't have any quotes from the scientists to, to tell us how many, you know, out of how many millions or billions or trillions of people, that means that we can whittle it down to Joseph Norman Hill. But what we do have is the law enforcement experts. So we have a quote from the police chief that says, we believe there is sufficient evidence that if he were still alive, we would present this case to a grand jury. And then we also have the Mahoning County prosecutor who said that her office reviewed the file and also believes that the case would be taken to a grand jury. And the prosecutor praised the work of the investigators, saying that they never abandoned the case and stuck with it over the years as DNA technology advanced. And she's exactly right, and, and I believe the, the chief is right, too. You Here you have the police chief and the prosecutor saying, 
if this dude were still alive, we'd take this DNA evidence along with everything we have in the file and we would take it to a grand jury. Let the grand jury decide if we are charging this guy with murder and taking his ass to court. She goes on to commend the police and their work that they did saying over 50 years had gone and they did not let it go. They didn't stop. One of the reasons worth said that he went public was because police want to know if any other people in the township ever had any contact with Joseph Hill. He said law enforcement in California were also looking into other cases to see if there is any link to homicides that they have after Joseph Hill moved from Ohio to California. Yeah, that's interesting. And then we have another officer. His last name is Kakasik. He said at this presser that Joseph Hill's name never came up in the investigation. And in fact, he was never, he wasn't just never considered a suspect. His name did not appear in their case file. And so they're announcing to the public back in January, not only are we finally able to close the Brad Bellino case, but on top of that, we are asking anyone who may have in information about Joseph Hill Please call our detectives, the Boardman detectives, at 330-726-4144. And we've seen law enforcement do this quite a bit in, in other cases. They go on to discuss the crime a little bit here in this article, saying the boy's body was found at about 8 a.m. Tuesday, April 4th, 1972, in a trash container behind Isley's on Boardman Canfield Road. A tan belt was wrapped around his neck and his clothing was in disarray. Investigators said he was sexually assaulted before he was killed. This is really, this, this little part of the case has always intrigued me. Yeah, me too. When we covered it, Captain, we spent a good deal of time, 20 or 30 minutes or so of, of that garage episode, pouring through the inconsistencies in the story about Brad Bellino being missing. And also the inconsistencies involving the evidence surrounding this homicide. One of those inconsistencies that we discussed was this belt. So they find him with this tan belt wrapped around his neck. It, it was the belt that was used to kill the boy. And it was reported that this was a child size belt. And we, where we had the, the discrepancy was with the items that was found with the boy. And there were two versions of that story. One version is that he was found without a belt. So leading to the possibility that the, the murder weapon actually belonged to the boy, that it was taken off of his person and then used to kill him. The other version of that story was Brad Bellina was found with a belt on. And also this belt was found on him wrapped around his neck. Right. Meaning that it wasn't his belt. Correct. And so they did a lot of investigating on this belt, which late, which leads me to believe that probably the latter is true, that he was probably found wearing a belt or at the very least police take the belt to Bolino's family and parents and say, was this the belt that your son was wearing? And they say either he didn't wear belts or no, that was not his belt. And it was definitely a child size belt. But if he, in fact, was wearing a belt or if Brad, if this was not his belt, then you have to wonder, did this killer 
Was he driving around looking for a victim with his preferred murder weapon? That he came prepared to do what he did to that kid. And we know that they spent a significant time investigating the belt because there were, uh, there was a, there's a mall in the area back then. And they went to that mall looking and trying to find if they could find any, anything that stood out to anybody. Like, did, did you see a, a grown man in here buying a child's belt? And he's, he's without a child when he's buying the belt. No, I get that. But as a parent, you buy a lot of things for your kids without them being in the store with you. Did anybody, did, did somebody write a check for a belt? Something that we can trace back to the purchaser and ask that person questions. So they investigated the belt. It's still kind of an outstanding part of this case. They're, they've not really clued us in on exactly what is the truth here, but most of the indicators are that it was not Brad Bellino's belt. They go on to say in the article, the Mahoning County coroner at the time, Dr. David Belinke, said in news reports the boy's death was, quote, the act of a degenerate, end quote. Boardman police said they had some leads immediately after Brad Bellino's body was found, but they also stated what they termed quote, phony information. You know, we talked about the inconsistencies in the stories, and this is what they're addressing here at the presser, which they said was hampering their investigation. There was some thought, remember, we discussed this well, Captain, there was some thought that Brad's death could be connected to the 1970 beating death of 15-year-old Thomas Baird of Afton Avenue, who was found December 3rd, 1970, on Lake Park Road, badly beaten. He died of his injuries 10 days later. Worth said police will re-examine the Baird case as well as the case of David Evans, 13, whose body was found in a parking lot near US 224 and Market Street in January 1975, a few days after he was reported missing. Worth said an autopsy showed that David Evans died of natural causes and Baird's death was also different than Brad's but police will check the cases again to make sure there is no connection with Joseph Norman Hill. Two days after Brad was found, Township Police Chief David Hartsock told reporters detectives had, quote, two good leads to pursue. The belt used to strangle Brad was also sent to the State Bureau of Criminal Investigation for analysis. A neighbor told a newspaper reporter that Brad was a gentle boy with a sunny disposition. Brad had been at a friend's house on that Friday that he was killed, and investigators estimated that he had been dead for about 48 to 72 hours before he was found. Police said Brad was last seen April 1st hitchhiking, but the mother of the boy Brad was visiting said that that had to be a mistake. She told a reporter Brad had been at her Applewood Acres home on March 31st and was allowed to stay until 9 p.m., but about 7.30 p.m. that evening, he called for a ride. When his father didn't answer, the mother of Brad's friend said he then left. This was one of those parts of the story that, that we had to examine as well because there were several people not just this one person that said, hey, the following day after this kid was already missing, I saw him trying to hitch a ride. 
There were a couple reports that had said that they had seen him playing basketball or out riding his bike. And so there was a lot of speculation and controversy a little bit going on at the time there in Boardman of people not agreeing on exactly when Brad was was killed. Well, one, I think because you have a younger victim, it's a shock to the community. And then the manner in which he is found is a double shock. So law enforcement has to do like a double due diligence because of the, like you said, this becomes like folklore instantly. Well, and the article gives us further insight into that of the killer. And continuing on, the police chief said that Joseph Hill was a truck driver who drove for a local water bottling company. He was 32 years old when Brad was killed and then moved to California in 1978. So keep in mind, Brad was killed in 1972. Joseph Hill, the killer, moves from Boardman, Ohio to California in 1978, roughly six years later. Right. Joseph Hill, again, he died in July of 2019 in a nursing home in California. And as we already said, his body was cremated. The police chief Worth and Captain Al Kakesic, the police chief Worth and Captain Al Kakesic, chief of detectives, both said at the presser investigators were able to get DNA samples from Hill's family members, some voluntarily and some through, quote, other means. They go on to state that there was never a link between Hill or Bellino that investigators could find. Brad was found about a mile away from where he was last seen. Kakasik said the autopsy of Brad found that he had an undigested meal in his system, which means he died quickly. So those rumors and those statements of people saying, hey, I saw this kid after you're saying he was last seen. And prior to you finding him deceased in the dumpster, those were either just flat out false or as we suspected when we went through the information that it was probably people that were really trying to help. And if you see a kid, I mean, this is a neighborhood. This is a town, a city that is filled with kids and boys, Brad Bellino's age. These are people that probably just really wanted to help. And there's that other human side too. When the, when it's reported, hey, we're looking for this kid. We don't know how or where or when exactly that he went missing. We need the public's help. There's that na- that natural human side of us that want to go, well, you know what? That kid, he's probably out running the streets. We don't want to think that evil snatched up this kid and did something horrible. Well, the chief is going to give us some insight because based on the autopsy, they believe that he died within two to four hours from leaving his home. Yeah. Two to four hours from leaving his friend's home. And then on top of that, they were able to use some of the items that were found in the dumpster to really narrow that down as well. So we have the mother saying that Brad Bellino left the friend's home at approximately 7.30. Right. And what we will have from police, and this is stuff that we did not learn until 50 years later, but what they are telling us, Captain, is that based on the items that they found that had been thrown away, and this this was not 
trash and waste found on top of the boy that the killer had thrown in there to try to conceal the body. From what police could see, it looked like the boy was killed very likely in the, in the killer's car or at least elsewhere, and then driven to this dumpster, placed inside, and then just left. And then the people, th- this is a busy area. This is almost the center of town. But this is not that far from where Hill worked, right? This is not terribly far from where Hill lived or where Bellino lived or, or where uh, the friend lived. I mean, we're, we're talking about everything here is within less, with a one and a half mile radius, really, if you, right. if you want to get down to it. And so they're, what they're saying is that we found trash items that were discarded by the businesses that were closed by midnight that night and not just closed doors locked and everything cleaned up, thrown away. And then employees gone bye-bye for the day. And they're saying that trash that they found on top of the boy, unfortunately was trash that would have been discarded that night before anybody would have left those businesses. So they were able to base it off of that and then take it a step further with the autopsy, with the science and say this undigested meal in his system means that he died relatively quickly after leaving his friend's home because he ate that meal at the friend's house. Right. So they are saying chief of detectives, Kakasic telling us two to four hours, those other sightings of Brad Bellino, just, they were not correct. Uh, they go on to tell us in the, in the article, police interviewed several people over the years and used search warrants to get DNA, eliminating people one by one. Now, some notes from that news conference. Again, the the information that is new here, the digested meal in his system wasn't such new news to us. That was something that we talked about when we covered it. That was something that had been fairly well reported over the years. The news there was, was the trash and how they went through all the items in that dumpster to try to come to a conclusion of when Brad would have been placed in that big receptacle. So two to four hours after leaving the residence of his friend, when he was last seen 7:30 PM ish placed in the dumpster, absolutely before midnight, that's new information because based off of what we were told before, he could have been killed and kept elsewhere before being placed in that dumpster. But it, it sounds like, no, that's not the case. Right, it makes a lot of the sense. other interesting thing too, the takeaway from that press conference, that news conference is no connection to the Bellino family. And after the news conference, the chief of detectives, Kakasic and chief worth, they stayed and they answered any questions that the public or media might have regarding this case and the, the big break and finally closing this case. And one of those was time and time again, but I think three or four times they were asked to clarify that there's no connection between murderer and the victim. Yeah. To me, it, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but to me, the connection is the area. Yes. And so it's like, especially during that time, uh, during that age period that Bellino was in, you'd walk around town, you'd 
ride your bike around town. There was a lot of things, and and parents didn't keep a super tight eye on 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 everything that the kids were doing. I'm a child from the late '80s, early '90s, and there was less supervision then. I can only imagine in the early '70s, and 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 personality. Brad Bellino was known to run with his friends, to ride his bike everywhere. He was known to hitchhike rides. Now, at the time, and the Bellino family really shut down, right? Where you have other cases where you see parents stay in the media and stay at the forefront of the investigation and be the face of their child victim for for the investigation, that was not so much the case with the Bellinos, and I think a large part of that was I think they took on a lot of criticism, local and even beyond the city limits of Boardman, of maybe they weren't great parents. Maybe they weren't supervising their son enough, and this is what happens when you don't look after your kids. I can understand People, th- th- we've talked about this dozens of times here. Right. When somebody kills a kid, it's a crime against that victim. It's a k- crime against that family. It's a crime against other children. And ultimately, it's a crime against the community. And the community wants its pound of flesh. If they cannot find the perpetrator, they want somebody to point to and say, this is wrong. And this is what happens when people don't do things the right way. And well, I get it. Yeah, it's they want to hold somebody accountable. And so since we don't have uh, a solid suspect, you know, they start pointing the finger at the parents. I mean, you see this in a, in a lot of cases. I get it. These cases are supposed to make you angry. If they don't make you angry, you ain't human. You don't share the same heart that the rest of us have. You don't have the same soul that the rest of us have. So I get it. But at the end of the day, the only person here to blame is is Joseph Norman Hill. That piece of shit. He's the killer. He took a little boy off the streets and he killed him. And he discarded him in a dumpster like trash. He's the only person to blame. We got nobody else to point to. Right. Brad Bellino had gone to his friend's house dozens of times and come home perfectly happy and healthy dozens of times. And regardless, let's not victim blame either. Who knows? Did, did Brad Bellino stick his thumb up in the air that night to get a ride? Who knows? And who cares? Because this guy went out that night looking for a victim, in my opinion. If he's driving around with that belt, the belt that we knew, we now know killed Brad Bellino and belonged to Joseph Hill, he went out looking for a victim that night. And unfortunately... Whether Brad was snatched off the streets or stuck his thumb in the air and hopped into Hill's car, we now know not only the result, but who is responsible. Right. Now, some other things in that presser, in that news conference, that were follow-up questions that didn't make it into this article. Right. Again, they are saying... No connection to Brad Bellino. And this is something that I'm underlining for a reason here, because I want people that haven't followed this case to understand the level of praise that Boardman PD deserve in the Brad Bellino case. 50 years, they never gave up on this case. 50 years, they never gave up on this kid. 
And we know that in 2001, they started doing their DNA and physical evidence work. And in fact, I can tell you behind the scenes, the Porchlight Project reached out to Boardman PD years ago and said, we want to help you with this case. We want to fund DNA genealogy work on this case because we think that it's going to lead you to the guy that committed the crime. Right. And Boardman PD said, thank you. You guys are awesome, but no thanks. Why? We, we are already doing what it is that you are offering to do. Well, and it's also rumored that they're not huge fans of James Renner. So they go on to tell us that they thoroughly investigated if there would be any kind of connection, not just from Brad, from victim to perpetrator, right? but Brad's family. And they said there's no connection to they you know Joseph Norman Hill had a had a son, and his son didn't go to the same school as Brad. They didn't know each other. The families didn't attend the same church. There is they didn't live on the same street or same neighborhood. There was zero connection from this monster to the Bellino family. And the reason why I'm underlining that is be, is to remind everybody that this case didn't take 50 years to solve due to a lack of effort. We've seen it time and time again. When you have a stranger on stranger crime, there is virtually nothing to link the perpetrator to the victim other than this scientific evidence that we had to wait on technology to catch up to this physical evidence. And so goodbye the uh, Boardman PD for sticking with this case for so long. And they also tell us too, Captain, again, remember, they're asking the public for help, for information about Joseph Norman Hill now that we know that he killed a kid in 1972, that he raped and killed a child in 1972. We need more information on this guy because what else could he have done? So they tell us he owned a gold Monte Carlo at the time. And while there were many reports into the police in that file from 1972, None of the vehicle descriptions matched that of Joseph Norman Hill's vehicle at the time. Now, keep in mind, they are not just asking people in Boardman, Ohio, for information about Joseph Norman Hill. They're asking people everywhere. He moved to California in 1978. They're asking people in San Bernardino, California, for information about this guy as well, because he lived there for 40 years before he passes away. And they go on to tell us that he lived in 14 different residents after moving to California. They do state that we have very little information on Joseph Norman Hill. Uh, one, partly because he moved out to California. And according to Boardman PD, they were saying that they believe he moved out there for work reasons. But the reason why that they have very little information about Hill here in Ohio and in California was that he had very little family history. We know he was married. We know he had at least one kid, but it seems to be a very small family. And and maybe he came from a very small family and his wife came from a small family. So there's not a whole lot of people to fill us in on the blanks in this guy's life. His wife passes away in 1993 and Interestingly enough, one thing we discussed in our coverage last year was the the rumor mill. 
It had all always been rumored that the police were pretty certain they knew who killed the first victim or had or had a decent idea of who may have been involved right. in the Thomas Bear homicide. They kind of confirmed that at afterwards when they're doing some follow-up questions. This was really interesting to me because this is something we were not clear on when we did our coverage. So somebody directly asked them at the conference, any chance Joseph Hill killed Thomas Baird? And police say right there, the chief and the chief of detectives tell the persons in the audience, the facts of that case do not match up with the facts of the Brad Bellino case. And we believe this is their words. And I'm, I'm kind of, uh, summarizing what they said, paraphrasing, but, paraphrasing. Thank you. You're welcome. The, the facts of the two cases don't, don't match up. There's, there's not very many simul- similarities in the case, but then on top of that, that we believe we kind of know what happened to Thomas Baird based off of the police file and based off of the evidence and information that police were able to collect at the time of the, of Baird's homicide. Right. But, but the one part that is key here is they were saying that while Baird was in bad shape from this attack, a lot of health problems with this, this attack. And unfortunately we know that he, he would later die in the hospital that he was at one point in the hospital able to communicate with police. Now, this might not be verbal. He may not have been verbal and able to tell them who his attacker was or attackers were, but they said that he was able to communicate with them. Maybe he was able to write it, blink. Sometimes they do that, you know, answer the questions, blink once for yes, twice for no. He was able to communicate to them that he knew his attacker or attackers. Um, and that I'm guessing captain that that probably carries a lot of weight with the investigators based off of information that they've already collected, leading them to believe that these two homicides are probably not connected. Now they did say too, you want to talk of the effort, not just the years spent trying to solve the Brad Bellino murder case. But the resources too, the time and the manpower, woman power, people power on this case and the money that I had read somewhere that they had spent 29 or over $29,000 to solve this case. This is just for money used for test testing, physical evidence and outsourcing that to the private sector. But what they had said in the after this presser was that the twenty nine thousand dollars in cost, or or more than twenty nine thousand dollars in cost to solve the case, it sounds like that was the cost over the course of just a handful of years. I had always believed that that was the money spent on this case for test starting back in two thousand and one, when we know that they were outsourcing testing this physical evidence. Right. But it sounds like this is the money that was spent just in a handful of years and that this case really started heating up behind the scenes in the last few years. And that some of this information, it sounds like they knew they knew that Joseph Norman Hill deceased was 98.2% the depositor of that physical evidence that was found on our victim, that they knew that for 
probably several months, but we don't get this announcement until they are able to thoroughly vet this guy or at least attempt to vet this guy and make sure that what the science is telling them is correct. Well, just again, you know, not to harp on that idea, but just because the families aren't connected that, you know, we don't know exactly what Hill was doing in that town. And as long as you're in that town, you would have been connected. You would have seen these children. These were crimes of opportunity. That's exactly right. But, you know, what fascinates me and, and also what really echoes a belief that we have said here on this show a dozen times, unfortunately, if you fall victim or fall prey to somebody, one of these monsters, your case or your loved one's case is only as good as the, the, the police department investigating it, only as good as the detective who catches your case only as good as the detectives sitting at the desk where the case file falls. And here is a prime example of a good police department, great detectives, great police chief, a great force in general, working together, working very hard on an investigation. And what's so great here is that this is why you don't give up. Here's that's what infuriates me with a lot of these cold cases. Because you have, I could name for you a dozen police departments. And if I can name a dozen, that means that there's probably hundreds of them out there. That they have cases that they can tell us, yeah, we're, we're pretty sure we know who did this. The perpetrator, we believe, uh, that did this is has been dead for some time. And so we, we got other cases. We, we can't devote the resources and the time and the money. And I get that you have other cases, but when you solve a case like this, when Boardman PD stands in front of cameras and an audience 50, over 50 years later in the Brad Bellino case and closes it out and tells us who did it and he died years ago, what that says to people in that community and everywhere watching and listening that you cannot come into our city and kill someone and get away with it. We will work this thing until it's solved. Three tragic deaths in Boardman, Ohio. That is the update of the Brad Bellino case. Stick around for tomorrow's show as we go through David Evans' update. Join us back here in the garage. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't live.
NetCredit is here to say yes because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people.